they are your ministry. That is your legacy. God could have put those kids in that pastor's home, but he put them in your home. You are the pastor of your home. You can delegate a lot of things, but you can't delegate that seat at the table for dinner. You can't delegate that seat at the soccer game. You can't delegate catching rebounds for your boy. Gosh, I get choked up thinking about this. Welcome to the Strategic Families Podcast, where we challenge your family to be rooted in God's Word, energized with gospel-centered purpose, and activated on mission for His kingdom. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Families Podcast. Great to be back with you again. You're going to love today's interview with David Benham. Many of you already know of David's work with his twin brother, Jason Benham. They're courageous followers of Jesus Christ, and today David just has so much gold to share with us. In this episode, he talks about his upbringing and particularly how his dad modeled a Christ-like life for him and his brother. He also shares this really helpful concept of conviction leading to commitment, which leads to courage when the heat turns up, something that is so helpful and so appropriate in our cultural moment right now as Christians. He also talks about prioritizing his family and how our role as parents just cannot be delegated. You're going to love it because he is just full of wisdom. So join me as we learn from him. And just a friendly reminder, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if this show has been a blessing to you, check the show notes for a link to our Patreon page, which will help cover the costs of producing the show. All right, on to the interview. Well, I am very excited to introduce to you guys my friend, David Benham. David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Graham. Appreciate you having me on. I'm honored, bro. Awesome, man. Well, it's been fun to just to get to know you a little bit over the last year, and I really appreciate you taking the time to um, to join us uh, for this discussion. So important overall. I mean, we want to talk about a lot of things, but more than anything, I want to talk about what it looks like to be courageous Christians in this world that mm. desperately needs courage and what that looks like for us as parents to teach that to our kids. You and your brother, Jason, are such a witness not just in the Christian community, but to the world. You guys stand for truth. I love that about you. And so I want to get into all that and how that should affect our parenting here in a little bit. But first, for those who may not know you, a lot of people will know you, of course, but for anyone who may not, could you just introduce yourself to us and then tell us a little bit about your family and what you do for a living? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm David. Uh, I'm an identical twin brother. My brother Jason's two minutes younger than me and not as good looking. And I mean, just all the things. I'm stronger, faster. But we're 46 now, so that doesn't really matter. He married Tori, and I married Lori. I promise we did not plan that. That's kind of ridiculous. But we do live five doors down. I've got five kids. He has four. Uh, My family right now, I've got a 22-year-old boy playing hoops in college, small Christian school. He's a senior this year. I have a, a junior in college at Lee University. I have a senior in high school. I have a sophomore in high school, and then I have a fifth grader. So, and my brother's kids are basically the same, except he doesn't have the older boy because I I got married uh, two years earlier than him. So we grew up in Dallas, Texas, the sons of a preacher. And our dad would always tell us, if your theology is not your biography, your theology is worthless. So I grew up with that. I grew up with theology is crucial. You have to study God, know God, right? The the word of God became flesh, but don't allow your theology to turn it all back into words again. Mm. In other words, keep it flesh in your own life. How does it flesh out? What are the principles of scripture? What does the Sermon on the Mount look like in your life or with the way you 
homeschool your kids and, and these other things. So we grew up with that. And I'm very thankful. We got saved at the age of 12. I was at a youth camp. Jason was six months later at a, at a um, junior high chapel service at a private Christian school that we attended. I like to tell people I got saved first. So Jason's, he's my first disciple. Like I've been discipling <laughs> that dude. If we got saved at 12 <laughs> and we're 46, that's been 34 years I've been discipling this guy. <laughs> so that's awesome. we ended up going and playing baseball at Liberty University. And, and while we were there, Dr. Jerry Falwell Sr. would always say, if it's Christian, it ought to be better. Now, I had no idea what our future held, but after our senior season in baseball, I get drafted by the Red Sox. Jason was drafted by a lesser organization, the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah. So here Jason was with the Orioles and I was, uh, you know, had been with the Red Sox traded over to the Cardinals and I got a chance to, you know, I was in a major league trade. So I got a chance to go to big league camp and have my Louisville sluggers made. And, you know, I, but, but I was a minor league guy. And so when Jason and I got out of baseball, we decided that we were going to move to Charlotte, North Carolina. And, um, we really didn't know what we were going to do here. I was 26 years old. I had my third kid on the way and like, what am I going to do? And we took the principles of scripture and we felt like, let's just start a little business. We started a little real estate company. It's all we knew. And, and so we took the principles of scripture. And then that company, seven years later, we had 100 offices across 35 states. And we just applied the principles of the Bible in the marketplace. Theology to biography, right? What does it look like? And so uh, the Lord really blessed us. And as a result of that, uh, we got a reality show by HGTV. It was the same year that they signed Chip and Joanna Gaines. So they had just signed Chip and Joanna Gaines, and they said they wanted to do a show called Fixer Upper. They signed the Benham families and said they wanted to shoot, do a show uh, called Flip It Forward. So they piloted the show Fixer Upper in, uh, let's see, the spring of 2014. And they said, we're going to feature your show on the fall of 2014. So Jason and I said, do, do you guys... Uh, have you ever heard our dad speak? You ever heard us speak? Because we're pretty vocal pro-life Christians. We're vocal about marriage and some of the other issues that belong to God that unfortunately we have now allowed in the church to become, quote, political, unquote. They're not political issues. They're moral issues, which are, which are spiritual issues. Totally agree. And so they, the HGTV, here's what's funny. They said, yeah, the production company, your agents, a lot of people at HGTV believe just like you guys do. We just don't talk about it. Now, that was 2014. As Christians or even as Americans, we were self-censoring a lot. So we were cancel culture before it became a hashtag because after we signed with HG, they, the Thought Mafia, which these are just different activist groups, began to bully and intimidate HGTV. And they tried to stay with us. They would call us. The general manager called us on our cell phone saying, guys, we're going to stick with you. You're going to be stars on the network. The Fixer Upper was a great, you know, was a great pilot and a great first season. Y'all's first season is going to be huge. I'm going to call this thing, flip it forward. This is going to be awesome. And we were like, well, these activist groups, they're not going to go away. And sure enough, they didn't. And when they started going after advertisers and really intimidating HG, they called us. And, and with tears, the leadership at HGTV said, guys, we have to fire you. We are so sorry. We love you. We love your families. We believe what you stand for. And, it, you know, it's just a really unfortunate situation. But don't you know, Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And that means even tough things. And some of your listeners right now are probably going through a tough financial time or a tough relational time with your kids, or maybe in your marriage, or maybe with your job or heck trying to navigate this vaccine mandate stuff and all this. It's like, look, we need to stay faithful to God, do what he tells us to do. And he's going to take care of the rest. So 
fast forward now to where we are today, Jason and I, after we were fired by HGTV, we ended up writing a book about it, it became a bestseller by God's grace. And so we found ourselves traveling and speaking all across the country and, and really encouraging, number one, Christians to stand firmly for our faith. Because Matthew 5.11, Jesus says, blessed are you when people persecute you and falsely accuse you, actually insult you and falsely accuse you for my name's sake, because the accusations that came against us were false, Graham. I mean, you hate women, you hate gays, you hate Muslims. I mean, nothing could be further from the truth. We'll talk about that later on a podcast, but this is just the narrative that the thought mafia creates. And so it's created now an atmosphere of cancel culture where uh, Jason and I find ourselves with just thousands of business leaders in the church as we travel and speak on stages across the country, they're really scared. They're, they're nervous about, well, what am I supposed to do? And the first thing we say, well, number one, get right with Jesus in your heart. But number two, lead your family well, right? Be intentional about leading your family because my dad, I remember, and I'll, I'll, after I say this, then I'll stop and we'll go to your next question. But I remember when I was a kid, my dad was really ridiculed by the newspapers that, that's back in the day. You can tell how old I am. It was newspaper then. Now it's like, what's a newspaper? <laughs> like an actual paper. Yeah. But my dad was ridiculed by the newspapers because deacons in our church would run for school board. My dad would, uh, we had a ministry, a pro-life ministry to these mothers facing uh, unplanned pregnancies. And, and they were just demonizing him. And I remember my dad would just, people would just, we would be in grocery stores and they'd see the newspaper with a headline of my dad. And and say he's an angry Republican te- you know, preacher, you know, which was crazy. He didn't re- identify himself as a Republican. He voted that way, but he didn't identify as one. And so uh, anyway, uh, we would just watch our dad and he was unflinching, Graham. He was he would not bend. He was not he did not care about himself more than he did about the truth that sets people free. And in the home now as a father, looking at the example of my dad things are far better caught than taught, right? They're watching us. No matter what we say, they're really what, they're, what we're giving them to taste. What kind of appetites are we creating in them? And that's, that's ultimately what led to my brother and I having the courage to stand strong is number one, we saw the men and women of God in scripture, but number two, we had by God's grace, a, a living example in our own home when we were kids. Wow, that's amazing. That is awesome. And I love that you guys talk in the book, whatever the cost. My son read it. And he was encouraged by your dad's, you know, the story of your dad going out for a run and picking yeah. up trash and yeah. telling people Jesus loved them. And I thought that was so cool. And actually, a couple of months ago, he and I were out for a run and he's like telling people as we're running, Jesus loves you. I and love it. Keep straight out of your book. So <laughs> like you guys passed it on. I mean, it's fantastic. But I did want to dive into that a little bit because I it's you know, it sounds like you guys just had a fantastic foundation and there were things about how you were raised that you're like, man, I want to continue that legacy with my kids. What I, you've already touched on a couple of them, but expound on that a little bit. Like what are some of the things that your dad either taught you specifically or modeled for you that you're like, yes, that yes. is a way to live that will honor Christ. First modeling, then teaching. And the modeling was that my brother and I did not wake up. I don't remember a day I woke up where I did not see my dad in the word of God. I mean, I just, that was just his time. That's what he did. And uh, the Bible was around my house. It was open. He was writing in it. I just, he wasn't thumping me over the head with it. Right. But teaching your kids is not thumping them over the head either. So I don't want to go too far to the other extreme. Oftentimes 
a lot of us men, especially a guy like me, I'm kind of a, I'm a, I'm a go get it. Like, let's make it happen. And I've got five kids and I have a couple of personalities that are not that way. And my wife's like, you got to go easier. <laughs> but, but anyway, so, um, but yeah, my dad, I just, you know, he modeled the word of God in his life and Proverbs 22, six says, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. And that Hebrew word for train up means it literally the Hebrew, uh, midwives or mothers, would take a, a piece of uh, celery or carrot and chew it up really fine because they didn't have Gerber baby food. And they would, when their infants would get a little bit older and they would take it out of their mouth and put the morsel on the tip of their finger and they would touch the palate of the child that would engage the salivary glands. Well, what that, what that did was it cultivated a taste in that child for that good food. That's the Hebrew word used for to train up there. And so the, the best definition of leadership that Jason and I've seen is that that verse it's the ability to create an appetite in those who follow you. So my dad created an appetite in my brother and I for the word of God. Here's why. When I saw him mocked, when I saw him uh, at the dinner table with uh, you know, a family from our church that were about to get divorced and my dad is praying and he's seeking res restoration and reconciliation, or when I would watch him witness on the baseball field as our coach, or when I would see him pick up trash uh, as a jogging the, in the neighborhood and then saying, Jesus loves you. And he would run with three by five cards in his hands with verses. And he was memorizing these verses. And I would see that that cultivated an appetite in me, cultivated an appetite in my brother and I, and that engaged our spiritual glands, if you will. And, uh, and really engaged my brother and I so that by the time, you know, we were 18 and went to Liberty university, he challenged us. He said, boys, it's time to read through the Bible every year. You need to make that part of your discipline. And by God's grace, I'm 46 now, we've been rolling. So it's every single year, that same Bible plan, which we now have on the Benham Brothers app. We did, a, we did an app and strategically named it Benham Brothers. <laughs> and so we've got the same Bible reading plan that we've been on since we were 18. That's and awesome. uh, we got thousands and thousands of people on that Bible reading schedule with us. But that that's the one thing he modeled. And then the second thing, the most important thing that he taught us was there is no sacred secular divide. There is no, this whole idea of, well, that's political. It's like, what, what are you talking about? You know, I'm not talking about Republicans, Democrats, conservative, liberal stuff. I'm talking about what does God say about marriage? What does God say about our finances? What does God say about the way we treat our spouse? What does God say about the way we raise our kids? What does God say about life and what does God say about government? What does God say about the economy? What, right? So if you're in the word of God and then you also don't believe in the sacred secular divide, which is false, Psalm 24, one says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If I took a sheet of paper and cut it down the middle and on one side or drew a line down the middle, on one side, you wrote everything God cares for and has an answer for. And on the other side, you wrote everything God doesn't care for and doesn't have an answer for. You'd have nothing on that side because he, he cares for everything because it's his earth. It's in a fallen earth, but it's still his earth. And so everywhere our feet go, we should be excellent. We should, we go into rooms. We're, we're not mediocre. We don't settle for mediocrity in our lives. We should not settle for mediocrity in our marriage. We shouldn't settle for it financially. And I'm not talking name it, claim it, go get rich. I'm talking about being a steward of the finances right. God gives you. We should not settle right. for mediocrity at our company. you be the best you can possibly be. And if the middle of the pack is your absolute best, praise the Lord. But it might not be. 
give it your absolute best. And as a, as a result of that, the Lord has just really blessed the work of our hands. He's really blessed what we've been able to do. And I, I don't say that as like, well, the Benham brothers, they did all this. No, it's just God working through that paradigm and the blessing and favor of God on our lives. That's awesome. And by the way, I can corroborate that about your dad. I was at a soccer game that he was, he was standing outside the fence and watching the soccer game. And our mutual friend, Sean Turner, he, uh, he kind of looked over at me and he goes, hey, that's David and Jason Benham's dad. And there's the Bible in his hand. He always has a Bible in his hand. It's amazing. And I look over there and sure enough, yep. he's got a Bible in his hand. And I love that. I love that. I, I love to know that for him, it's not, you know, this is not an abstraction. This is life. That's right. And that's how he lived his life. And that's what he modeled for you guys and taught you guys. I love that. And just to see the legacy is just yeah. amazing. So praise the Lord for that. Yeah, okay. Man. So wanted to dive in a little bit on this idea of courage. We've, you've touched on it a little bit, crazy world out there. We all know that. And it's tough. It can be tough to stand for the truth. Yeah. And since, you know, you and your brother, Jason are just known for standing for the truth, for, for taking a stand unapologetically for the gospel, for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to dive into how standing for the truth, what that means for our families, like how, why is it so important that we model this for our kids, that yeah. we don't back down and we show our kids like, hey, look, you know, standing for Christ is going to cost you something That's in this right. world, but it's worth it. That's right. So um, I'm not even sure if there's a question there, but yeah, just sure. expound on that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I will. And I'll make sure I shorten my answer so I can get all your questions in and your time allotted. But um, <laughs> no, it's great. yeah, you know, if you get into the scripture and you read Hebrews 11 or you read about the great patriarchs and matriarchs of our faith, they were all courageous and courage presupposes fear. It's there is going to be fear. And the Lord tells us what some 300 plus times in scripture, do not fear, do not fear. And he tells Joshua, be strong and courageous, be very strong and courageous. Why? Because there's a real enemy. We have to define who that enemy is. So Jason and I, our second book, Living Among Lions, How to Thrive Like Daniel in Today's Babylon, we outlined a three-step path to courage. Number one, it starts with conviction that transforms your heart. So it starts from the inside, but it can't stay there. It then shifts to commitments that transform your lifestyle. So it goes from conviction that transforms your heart to commitments that transform your lifestyle. So you're building those commitments in, right? You're getting ready for battle. If you're going into battle somewhere, if you're going into the boxing ring, or if you're going into a basketball game, or you're going into a big business meeting, you're not just going to sit there and not prep. You're not going to sit there and have no idea what you're talking about or see the lay of the land. You're going to figure all that out, right? So getting into scripture and understanding the times in which we live is developing these disciplined commitments in our lives. And But then if you have conviction that transform your heart and you have commitments that transform your lifestyle, when the heat turns up, you will naturally have courage that transforms your world. That's awesome. Boldness precedes the miraculous. And that's the cool thing. King David was terrified. He was scared, just like anybody else. Gideon was afraid, just like anyone else. Joshua was afraid before Jericho. And yet they boldly moved forward by faith. They already had conviction in their heart. God was their God. We already know that about their story. They also had disciplined commitments in their lives. You'll see it in scripture. You can see their discipline. But then it changed. It turned into courage when the heat turned up. So we look at their lives, and when the heat turned up in our own life with HGTV and some of these other things, we, we, it was a natural outpouring of 
years of commitments, right? The, of, of in the scripture. And, and, and so, you know, and, and by the way, I do want to say this, that Jason and I also were very afraid. And there was a time when we wanted to take down emails and we were trying to kind of strategically pivot to figure out how can we look as good as possible to all of these activist groups so that they don't smear us. You can't do that. It's like, I mean, if it's like trying to put deodorant on the devil, right? You can't just, you be you and you stand. So those three, conviction, commitment, and courage, they go hand in hand. And after courage comes the miraculous. You look at Daniel, boom, he was courageous, miracle. You look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, courage, miracle. You look at Moses, courage, miracle. You know, and, and I mean, it goes all the way to Mary, courage. Gosh, how courageous did she have to be to despise the shame as a 16-year-old or whatever a pregnant girl that's not married and yet despise the shame? Boom, miracle. So that's the key. Man, that is awesome. Conviction, commitment, courage. I love that process. That is, that's amazing. So, all right, I got to ask you, I know you're a busy guy. You got a lot going on in life, man. I mean, you're an entrepreneur, you're a businessman, you've got, you know, you got a family, marriage, like involved in the community, all this stuff. You know, this is something that we talk about a decent bit on the podcast, especially guys around our age. I mean, there's so much going on so much we can focus on. And sometimes it's a little bit overwhelming. And I just wanted to ask you, how do you balance it all? You know, like, yeah. how do you determine this is what the Lord has for me to do? I mean, I know it involves being in the word, but like, what are some other disciplines in your life that help you? Yeah. A couple of things that, that I've done and uh, I'm, I'm by, by no means perfect. This is just what I've done. And I know there are others I've learned from as well, but you know, it's, it's just very interesting. You, number one, there are different seasons of life. And you have to run at the pace of your people. So that's what I mean. Like the people, I'm talking about my wife and my kids. A, a true leader is not the guy running out front where he's so far out front. He's not really leading. He's just by himself running mm -hmm. out front, right? Sure. The, the leading well is leading with the pace of your people. You know, the pace, the, the pace of your family. Can they handle certain things? And you have to pay very close attention to that. You, it is a daily decision. This isn't some, well, I'm going to decide to do this and my work-life balance is going to be great. No, it's going to be like weekly and pretty much daily. Yeah. Um, you run at the pace of your people. So you have to ask yourself, you know, 10 years ago, the pace of my people was much slower in terms of separation from the family. So we were together a lot. They were so much smaller, but it was much faster in those little time chunks, like right before dinner, dinner, after dinner, baths. It's like, ah, ah, you, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. right. And then my wife and I knew huh, we've got 90 minutes of time. And she almost inevitably would rather go to Walmart or Target than spend some time with me. So I'm like, I have to, we have to like specialize the time that I can give yeah. to her. And then I made a decision that I would never do personal things like for me on their time, I always, if I'm going to work out, if I'm going to do Bible study, if I'm going to do any personal development, it has to be on my time, which meant I had to get to bed a little bit early so that I could wake up. That's called front end discipline, mm. right? We're back into commitments mm -hmm, again. Mm -hmm. So I would, and if I'm going to go to bed a little bit early, I can't be gorging on cereal or ice cream late, late at night. Like I love that stuff, by the way, yeah, there yeah. are times for that, but you really have to, you, you got to pay attention to the season that you're in. So I would wake up 
and I would have my time with the Lord, my workout. I would have it all done, and then I would help Lori. I would get back, shower, and I would have time to help Lori get the kids rolling before I went into the office. Now, some people are working different jobs, different shifts. I understand. You just got to go. You got to figure out what your pace can be with your people. And so that really helped. The second thing is I eliminated any extracurricular activity that did not include my children. Mm. People say, David, let's go golf. I'm like, if I can bring a kid, I'm going. If I can't, I'm not. And even business meetings, I would start bringing a kid periodically, but I own the company. So that was a little (laughs) bit easier. So I understand most people can't do that. But um, anyway, I eliminated all. Uh, And when I'm telling you, Graham, you talk to my buddies, they know. You cannot get the Benham brothers if their kids are not coming or if one kid's not coming or if it's yeah. a husband wife thing. It just doesn't work. That. The yeah. pace of my family cannot afford me being away outside of my primary role to provide. So now my primary role to provide, which would be my job or whether you're working a nine to five or whatever, you're away from your family at that point. So that's one of the reasons why I tell men now, listen, there's no lightning coming through this roof. I tell men to get off the board at your church, get on, just look, if you, if it doesn't fit with the pace of your family, if it's stressing your wife out, listen, they are your ministry. Mm. That is your legacy. Preach it, brother. God could have put those kids in that pastor's home, but he put them in your home. Mm. You are the pastor of your home. Mm. You can outsource. And as a business owner, you can outsource a lot of things. You can delegate a lot of things. But you can't delegate that seat at the table for dinner. You can't mm. delegate that seat at the soccer game. You can't delegate catching rebounds for your boy. Gosh, I get choked up thinking about this. Dude, I'm a, you're going to make me cry, man. That's, I'm telling that's you, you amazing. don't delegate yeah. that. Yeah, and totally. And you protect it. Andy Stanley wrote a book called Choose to Cheat. And it boils down to this. Every decision you make, you're choosing to cheat someone. You just have to choose to cheat. And I made a decision very early. I will cheat the boys, not my sons, but the guys, right? I will cheat them all day. Right. Now I do want to hang out with them. I, I do this whole, you know, I was doing F3. I was up in the early because there, yeah. I got to get guy time, right? I mm-hmm, got to get mm-hmm. Bible time with my guys, but I'm not going to do it on my family's time. Right. And, right. and, and so anyway, it, it, it became just a rhythm in my life to where that my kids saw that now they're growing and almost grown. My pace is completely different. And now I inject, I just, I get very intentional about phone calls to my kids. I get very intentional about lunch. Possibly if I can do lunch, most people know if you're going to ask a Benham brother to lunch, just the other day, a buddy, he produces movies. He came to my Bible study. He goes, can I grab breakfast with you? I said, my son's coming. He's like, absolutely. I said, okay, great. <laughs> I'm like, I, that's awesome. I always want my kids with yeah, me as yeah. much as I humanly possibly can. And that's really been yeah. a blessing. And then of course we, I just got Nazi about date night. I mean, date night is yep. date night with my wife. Yep. And I, yep. even with you, we were going to do this podcast a little earlier, but I was like, bro, I'm, I'm with my wife first thing. And then, uh, you know, awesome. so I mean, things change. So yeah, you got to get militant about it. You got to be disciplined as a, as a father and a husband. Totally. Oh man, I, I could not agree more. I was actually going to ask you about the business trips because I had heard that, that you, I think Lori told my wife Katie about that. And I wanted to ask you about that, but I love, I love the convergence of those things. And I, I think I'm starting to learn this lesson myself, just, you know, kind of silly example, but just the other day I had to do a project around the house. I had to convert a grill from a, a natural gas grill to a propane grill. 
And I asked my 10 year old daughter, Hey, you want to help? She's sure up for anything. So we work on this like three hours, just the two wow. of us. And like, I, you know, exactly what you're saying. It's like, I could have done that myself, you know, maybe I would have had my headphones in or whatever, but like now we have, we learn this together. We have a shared memory. We get to That's spend right. time together, you know, That's and it's so like, yeah, it's just little things like that. And I love, I mean, that to me, you know, we talk about the word strategy all the time, but what you determined there when you said, I'm not going to cheat my family, that is a hugely strategic decision. Yes. Like you're saying, yeah. line in the sand, this is how we're going to do life by God's grace, you know, in accordance with his word, like I am going to lead my family. And that includes spending this time and not cheating them. And, and Graham, you got to get militant about it. Yeah. Speaking about the scripture, you look at Lot and he was a righteous man, the Bible says, but when the perversion surrounded his home, he went out and he said, my brothers, don't do this evil thing because they wanted those angels. And if you don't know the story of Lot, then go to Genesis 18, 19, 20. You'll read all about it. But he says, my brothers, don't do this thing. And they said, who is this, 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 this servant that came here to us? He's not a, he says he's a leader among us. And they pressed and Lot fled from them. What I say is this, Lot should have died right there on the door. Mm. Because he ended up losing his daughters. He ended up losing his right. wife. His wife right. became a pillar of salt. She became in his death or in her death what he should have been in his life. We have to intentionally and militantly with ourselves. I'm talking about militant, not in the family, but militant with yourself, militant with your flesh. Put the remote control down. Unless you're watching the Cowboys with your sons, then pick it up. <laughs> okay. Put the video game, listen, if you are a man with a child, put the game system down. Now, maybe as a part of a reward, but never a part of the routine. You Amen. need to ask yourself, am I a gamer? Is it a routine or a reward? Right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of 30-year-olds and 20-year-old dads. They grew up gaming. I told my 20-year-old boy the other day. He was playing chess against a buddy that was in another state on his iPhone. And I was like, oh, man, that's, that's kind of fun. I like chess. That's kind of an intellectual game. And I was like, but let me ask you this. I just want to ask you this honest question. What habits are you building into your life right now that are going to detract you or deter you in your marriage? Like, is that video game with your buddy playing yeah. chess going to help? or take away from your marriage if you're there with your wife in her presence at your house. Now, I'm not getting, I don't want to be too legalistic on this, right? Because sure. yep. I think there's always margin for some fun. Yep. But I, we really got to pay attention to ourselves. Totally. So that, that's an important thing about, you know, you really want that work-life balance. Well, you're going to have to put some things down, dad, and it's going to be hard. And I, trust me, it hurts, but it's so rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. And like, yeah, a little bit of sacrifice uh, or a lot of sacrifice. But yeah. like, I love what you said about not like you can't you can't subcontract this stuff out. You can't you can't subcontract out that seat no. at the dinner table. God placed you there Jeez. as head of your household, as a husband and a dad to love those kids, to disciple them. And, you know, that's one of the things that we are just all about here is like, helping parents take this charge seriously, that it is our job to disciple our kids. 
can the church come alongside us? Absolutely, they should. And we should be involved in the local church in helping families disciple their children. But it is primarily our job as parents That's to right. disciple them, to teach them the truth. We can't force it on them, mm-hmm. but we certainly have a responsibility and a That's call right. to lead them in the truth and to model the truth for them. And I just, I love Amen. I just love the witness that that you have in your community and in your neighborhood and everything. And um, I did want to ask you one one last question before we close out. One thing that I love about your family and, and Jason's family is that you guys seem to just be community builders. Uh, I remember you telling me this, I think the first time we met and you talked about how you invited people in your neighborhood and people started moving in. And so you've got yeah. this, I mean, people riding around on golf carts and stuff like that. I love it. <laughs> so can you, can you just talk about it? Because that seems to me, that that was a strategic decision too, yeah. that you wanted to yeah. build community, not just for you and Lori, but for your kids also. So can you talk about why that's so important to you guys and how valuable that is? Yeah. You know, covenant community matters and being intentional to be in community with like-minded believers, especially now matters more than anything. Hmm. And, and we felt like, okay, so we are discipling our kids, but you know, Graham and his wife live down the road my kids are going to be over at his house. And so there's a level where you're going to be discipling them, right? I mean, right. you really don't live right. down the road, sure. but for example, yeah. same thing. Like, so Jason and I, just as we literally were giving birth to our first kid or two, we were like, why on earth would we not land in a neighborhood that, that we love? Lord willing, we can, you know, get into a, a place that, that we know we can expand and enjoy. And let's start recruiting other families that are like-minded to come into the neighborhood and, and just do life. Like we don't have to do services and stuff, but let's just do life. And so we recruited, gosh, now we've been here almost 10 years and we've got about 18 families, 50 plus kids. We got another family coming in next month with several kids. I mean, literally if a house goes available in our neighborhood, people call us and, uh, and they call a couple of other families in our neighborhood and they're like, okay, who do y'all got? And I'm like, okay, but I put the phone calls out and, so, but we got intentional about it. And then we do some intentional, we do an intentional neighborhood uh, Christmas party. We do intentional neighborhood ornament exchange and then intentional neighborhood July 4th. And, you know, just other things that we've gotten very intentional about Valentine's, uh, you know, so. So it's not a holiday party. It's a Christmas party. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, you know, it's just been, it's been uh, fun to just see how our kids are growing together. And especially when COVID happened. And just we start seeing medical terrorism, in my opinion, just I mean, just all this stuff. And then the mandates, like if you want to wear, wear a mask, I'm, go for it. If you want to get vaccinated, go for it. But these mandates and the vilification of groups of people that choose to abide by their own conscience, like I'm an immunity guy. And my brothers and sisters in Christ here in the neighborhood, they don't shame me for that and vice versa. But we have like mindedness. So when all of this radicalism was happening in the culture, our neighborhood was just popping with kids everywhere. No masks, you know, and just living life. They're in their most formative years. Their brains are literally being formed and we're teaching them to be wooden puppets. Like this is insane what we're doing to our kids. And no wonder suicide, depression, and anxiety, and drugs are at an all-time. CDC's like, they're 27% of kids 16 to 24 are hooked. You come into this neighborhood, no kid's perfect. Trust me, they're all foolish. But you got parents that are saying, no, we are going, we are not going to live our lives in fear. 
we are not going to force these kids to um, become, you know, mask Nazis and all this other stuff. And man, it has been amazing. And I realize how valuable covenant community is now, especially when everything was happening with the riots and the BLM riots in Charlotte and BLM announced that they're going to start coming to the suburbs and they're going to start burning the burbs, bro. Listen, we had 25 guys in my living room, like the day after, and we developed a game plan of protection. That's what men do, right? I don't give a rat's behind. If you tell me that's toxic masculinity, you're a fool to believe that men protect men are not allowed, not about to let your women and your children not have a covenant of protection. Mm-hmm. And so it was all our wives were so thrilled, like, ah, look at these guys. <laughs> yeah. You know? So it was just, it's a real blessing to have something yeah. like that. Not everybody has that. And I, I understand that, but you can be intentional about who you're having dinner with or who your kids are spending the night with or who you're intentionally bringing into your home because they will also disciple your kids as well. So we got to be very intentional about that. Yeah. Uh, I love, I love the idea of, just being involved in each other's lives. And that happens. I mean, that really only happens in proximity, right? Yeah. I mean, well, I know we're doing the Zoom thing. Everybody's doing the Zoom thing, but like there's no substitute for mm-hmm. physical, geographical, close proximity. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And I just, I love how you guys have built that in your in your community and you've in, just gathered like-minded people. I love the way you said that. And that's that's part of the, you know, that's part of the big C church. It doesn't, you don't have to be, right. you know, part of a specific body, but just be in the church together. And I love how you said that's that right. doing life together. So that's amazing. Well, man, this has been so awesome. Tell us, how can people follow your ministry, Jason's sure. ministry, books? How can people learn more about you and learn more about your story? Super simple. Benhambrothers.com. B-E-N-H-A-M. Benhambrothers.com. You can follow Benham Brothers on any of the socials. You know, we got, we got uh, punched on Twitter. We've been shadow banned on Facebook, but we're just going to keep moving forward. So you can follow us. Uh, you know, the, I, it, you have to like seek us out now. We're not going to be posting on the timelines because the algorithms are going to be against our beliefs. But and you just go to the website. Awesome. Sounds great, man. Well, this has been so much fun and uh, just a joy. So appreciate you and Lori and your whole family. And uh, just thank you for standing for the truth, standing for the Lord. Keep it up, man. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for this. This is an awesome podcast. Keep it going. Thank you. Man, that was awesome. David, thank you so much for just what you stand for and for sharing such great wisdom with us today. What a blessing. So let's do it, parents. Let's make sure we have our conviction straight with the Lord Jesus Christ and let that feed our commitment to follow and honor Him and then watch the Lord give us courage in those moments when we're challenged. We need to not only teach this to our kids, but model it for them as well. What a great word. Thank you, David. Be sure to check out our next episode with my brother-in-law and awesome man of God, Pete Frank, the provost of Grove City College, who's going to share with us how to develop a program called Gateway on the Journey to Manhood, which helps boys grow into young men. My son and I did this last year, and it was amazing. So if there are any boys or young men in your life, you'll want to check out that episode. Check us out on strategicfamilies.com. As always, we would love to hear from you on how you're building a strategic family that honors Christ and how you're helping your kids grow in courage. All right. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.